You're listening to Tone Benders, the sound designer's podcast. Let's do this. Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Renee Coronado, and we've got an episode here that was recorded far before the time when the world turned upside down. Back during our Austin trip, where me and Tim met up with a bunch of folks down in Austin. This was a really fun episode. We got to dive deep into the nuts and bolts, not only of ADR in general, but of freelancing ADR and of running an ADR facility specifically, which is always interesting to me. I love ADR. And we also got into uh, something that has far predated the current pandemic, which is, of course, the issue of misogyny in the post industry. And it's an issue that has, again, come to the forefront recently. So this episode is both timely and timeless, I guess. I also want to give a big shout out to Corey Pereira, who facilitated a lot of the introductions back in Austin, um, a lot of the recordings, and who actually did the uh, the heavy lifting on the edit on this particular episode. So shout out to Corey, and uh, here you go. Hey everybody, welcome to Tonebenders. My name is Tim Muirhead and I will be your host today and sitting with me today in the booth at the beautiful Shea Boom Studios in downtown Austin, Texas is Renee Coronado. How are you doing today? Hey, hey, I love Austin. The reason that we are in Shea Boom is because we're sitting with the owner and uh, operator, Shayna Brown. Welcome to the show, Shayna. Hi, thanks for having me. And then joining us from across the pond, as they say in London, England, is Emma Butt. Emma, can you hear us okay? I can indeed. Hello. Excellent. Welcome to the show. So Emma and Shayna are two of the preeminent ADR recordists that we've run into while doing this podcast. And we wanted to get them both together to kind of have a roundtable talk about the dark arts of recording ADR. So Shayna, how did you get into recording ADR? Oh, gosh. My simple, quick answer that's a little bit self-deprecating, but pretty much true is nepotism. I'm the daughter of a musician, and so I grew up in recording studios. It was a natural place, and when Pro Tools was very expensive and new, my father bought a copy, and also I was homeschooled, so I was home alone, often with Pro Tools, and my dad would be trying to record himself playing instruments, so I learned how to record him, and then when I started college, Pro Tools, there were classes that had Pro Tools lessons, and there was no degree in sound recording technology or anything like that. But these classes counted as a science. And I was a philosophy major and I desperately needed science that wasn't, you know, anatomy. So I took all (laughs) the sound classes I could, which included these Pro Tools classes. And somewhere along the way, Robert Rodriguez came to town and he needed someone who understood Pro Tools to help with Spy Kids too. And the person who was building Robert a studio knew me. And he said, hey, I know this girl, go to her. And so Robert and his L.A. sound team came to the studio and I ran the board, but with his sound team yelling at me, this is how you do it. This is what you do. So I learned from him, from his team. And I worked on several movies with him and just really lucked into right place, right time, right as Pro Tools came out. All of it came together. And I'm in Austin, Texas, where all of this creativity is happening. So luck, nepotism, a little bit of skill. Well, got, when the opportunity knocks, you got to have the, the the ability to back it up. Yeah. I was homeschooled to be a musician and I'm far too shy for that. And I thought I wanted to be a music engineer. 
And so that's why I took the classes. And the way I put myself through college was by working at music studios. And I think that love of sound translates in the ADR world. And not only there's a rhythm to talking and all of that, but just having an ear for match and tone and emotion conveyed by whatever sound there is. I think all of that was a natural transition to ADR. Plus, I'm a bit of a spaz and I move very quickly. <laughs> and that is, that's actually an asset with ADR. It's yes. like, I can juggle 10 things really quickly. Watch this. And yeah. so it was, it was a great fit. It was a fun video game. So Emma, how did you get into ADR? I kind of fell into it because the guys that I worked with in my first job, Screen Scene, um, all hated doing ADR. And I feckin' loved it. Um, <laughs> so I never actually wanted to end up in post-production. I wanted to be in music and work in live sound with bands. And I did it for a year and I hated it. It was horrible. It was the most sexist environment to be in. And the hours were just so unsociable. And so when my uni course finished or a college course finished, I got a job as a runner in a post-production house and I started learning about post and found it really interesting. And one of the first jobs that I did as a proper hands-on-the-desk engineer was recording voices for an animation. And mm -hmm. it was just so fascinating um, how the whole process worked. And then the engineers kind of introduced me to ADR and my mind was blown at how quick you have to be, how on the ball, um, you know, you have two different sets of people kind of shouting instructions to you at the same time, your actor, your director, and your producer. Um, and then if you're doing Source Connect, Jesus, it's a whole other ball game. Mm -hmm. And I just fell in love with it. I was like, this is amazing. It's so quick paced. You have to be, you know, on your toes at all times. And um, yeah, I, I just kept on asking to be on as many sessions as possible. And I started out by one of the senior guys would sit behind me during sessions and make sure I didn't have any issues, make sure I was okay. And then eventually as my confidence grew, I started taking on sessions by myself. But I used to get in full-blown arguments with the other guys if they got a, an ADR session that I really wanted to do and I couldn't do it because I was on another job. And they used to want to gladly hand it over to me because they hated it, but they couldn't. And yeah, it's just kind of been a love affair ever since then. And it's kind of nice. I have a balance between ADR sound editing and mixing, but my heart is always with ADR. I just love it. I love the interaction with people. So Emma, you are freelance, right? I am indeed, but only since two years ago. So how do you find getting your name out for specifically for ADR? Is, is that something easy to do or do a lot of places have in-house people? Most places have in-house people and then they'll just hire in a freelancer if their regular ADR recordist is on holiday or else if they have two studios and they just have too much work in that they can't accommodate at all. Um, in terms of getting my name out there, I have to say Game of Thrones helped me a lot. Um, I was really help. lucky that... You mean that <laughs> yeah, you, you worked on Game of Thrones so that you got have that on your resume, you mean? Not watching Game exactly. of Thrones. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do wish I could get employed ass, for just watching it. <laughs> it. It seems like being a freelance ADR recordist is, is particularly tricky because you're having to walk into other people's setups, right? You don't have your own, your own macros and everything in every place you're going to walk into, do you? No. I had a situation last week. I've been helping this studio develop into an ADR studio, but I haven't actually properly recorded there yet. And I had a full day of ADR booked in there. And they're amazing. They had all the equipment and they had the layout that I wanted. But until you've actually got your hands on the desk and know the sound of the room, it's really disconcerting. So I always ask for any new studio that I go into that I can have at least half a day 
before yeah. an actual session so I can familiarise myself. Um, one of the most difficult places that I have to work when they need me is Goldcrest because Goldcrest, anybody who's in the ADR world will know of them because they are probably one of the most well-known studios in London. They're incredible. But they use a DFC desk, which is so old school to me, and I hate them. I really hate them. <laughs> and it is so difficult going in there. And they also use a two-person ADR system. So you have an assistant who operates the Pro Tools, and then you are essentially there just as the mixer. You're just doing the playbacks, really, and making sure that the mics are where you want them to be. And thankfully, I know both of the assistants really well now, Lottie and Maria. So if I do have to go in, they know to let me at least press record and press stop, because that's something that they do too. And I struggle with that. My hands automatically just want to get onto the machine and just run the whole session by myself, which I can't do. So it is tricky. You have to be really quick on your feet as soon as you walk into the room and just adjust yourself quickly to how it sounds. So I always try and record my own voice. I'll make sure no one else is around because it's really fucking embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> record myself uh, reading off a few of the lines and then play it back because I know what my own voice sounds like and I'll adjust my ears to the room then and how loud the monitoring level needs to be on playbacks and that usually helps. Yeah, monitoring is a huge deal in ADR. Like like headphone loudness. I'm sure you can talk to that in Shana. Yeah, we do the same thing here. I have when it was just me in my studio, it's easier because it's set, go, nobody changes anything. But definitely in the past couple of years, having other ADR engineers working for me, we have just, you know, slightly different setups, maybe different sends. I have had some of the most embarrassing moments of my career lately because maybe I accidentally blow feedback to everyone or something, you know, maybe there's like I was giving you slap, you know, slapback, sending you yourself back a minute ago. It's, I think, it's what, to what you said, having the time to get in before the session for a few hours and just make sure everything's routed correctly, everything sounds good. And then there's always equipment can go down in the middle of a session or someone trips over a cable and rips the lav, which has happened to me. And, you know, just learning to roll with those things and try to get the best sound you can. But yeah, it's difficult because once you get everything perfect, then there's the next session and it's different. Well, just for context, for people that don't understand like the mechanics of ADR and the multiple things that an ADR recordist is wrangling, um, spell it out for us. Well, so Emma, I don't know about your normal workflow and who's with you, but because of our location, you know, we're not LA, we don't have the directors here most often, or Vancouver, wherever everyone's shooting. Our usual situation is the actors in Austin either lives here or is vacationing here, visiting um, or shooting something here. So the director and the sound supervisor are remote. And sometimes the director's in Australia and the sound supervisor's in Vancouver on another show and the actor's here and maybe the actors never met the sound supervisor. And so it's this awkward ADR. First of all, there's, there's a built-in delay. We're talking to people halfway across the globe, maybe multiple cities. Um, so we have to have two microphones that function perfectly well and then get that into Pro Tools so we can record that and then also patch in the director so the actor can hear the director, the director can hear the actor. And then there's production and there's our stems or whatever we have from the editor to work with. And every production sends something different. Exactly. There's no telling what we're going to have. And if they send us 16 stems, that's awesome. And it gives us a lot of flexibility to cut some stuff in and do some mixing for them for playbacks. But it's also cumbersome. That's a lot of tracks to manage, especially if they never want that, then, you know, just send us a stereo mix. That's fine. So managing that. And then there's the cues, the beeps mm -hmm. that the actor should hear, usually not the director, sometimes the sound soup, depending on what they want. And there has to be some flexibility because really everyone's different. So flexibility and setting up the technology part and then 
dealing with, okay, let me see. The actor has met the sound supervisor. They have a rapport. They know each other. They do ADR. Usually the actor's just here visiting. Okay, I can sit back. Or, all right, this actor does not know the sound soup. This is The director's not in the room, so I have to make sure everyone gets the mixes that they want. The headphone mix is good for the actor. I'm hearing what I need to hear in the control room. And the sound supervisor in wherever in the world is hearing what he wants to hear, which is usually production for rehearsals. And then when we record, just the actor. But the actor wants to hear production up until his line or maybe through his or her line. Um, So managing all of those things, hoping that none of it goes out right in the middle of the session. And then I think one of the trickiest parts is managing the relationships. And again, recognizing, okay, the actor doesn't know the sound supervisor, but the actor seems really good at ADR. I'm just going to help facilitate that and and communicate to the sound supervisor. Okay, I'm here. I'm going to leave this open and let you do four in a row or three in a row, whatever you want, and go into the next line if you want. Whatever feels good for the actor to facilitate best performance and ease of getting through the lines. If we've got a stack of papers of cues, I don't want to make each line very difficult. Like, okay, let's talk about this one. What's your motivation here? Well, where were you? Why are we recording this line? I, you know, why are we changing this? Oh, what does the, you know, what does the network want us to do? Instead of having that discussion before every line, it's about you know reading the room and allowing space for that if it needs to happen, and otherwise helping move it along quickly. Um, so yeah, lots of lots of things to manage. And Emma, I can't imagine stepping into somebody else's house and doing that. Right. That's I yeah I don't envy you that. Just from a signal flow perspective alone, yeah. much less, you know, yeah. the relationships and everything else. Yeah, that would be hard. Yeah, it, it's tricky. Um, and every room has its quirks and every totally. room has situations where, uh, you know, certain things make it crash, certain things make it not work. And you have to learn the hard way, which is really frustrating. Like I had a session uh, a few weeks ago. And the ADR room that I was working in doubles up as a mix room. And the mixer had been in, I had a session 9am on a Monday morning. The mixer had been using it on Friday, right up until 8pm that night. So no one in engineering could go in and check it and make sure it was okay. And he had changed some of the patching. Oh no. But no one knew. So I came in to set up my session. Everything seemed like it was working. And an hour and a half later, we still hadn't recorded cue because I couldn't figure out why the system wasn't working. None of my picture was playing in sync. I tried everything and eventually we got to the bottom of it. So it is tricky because obviously as a freelancer, I mean, I always get in an hour before a session, no matter where I am and no matter what I'm doing. But I mean, that's my limit is an hour. Um, especially if it's a 9 a.m. start. I'm not going to get in at 7 a.m. for a session. So it's tricky. You've got an hour to try and figure out if everything's working, everything's fine. And if someone has changed something and they haven't told you, yeah. And if you get in there and you feel like your setup's good, you've tested it, you've done the Source Connect Echo, everything's looking good, and then something doesn't work when you're in the session, you don't know if it's something on your side or the other side. Yeah. And that's very frustrating. It's really, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to trust it. I always assume that it's my end. I do too. I remember starting out that I used to hate when people used to automatically blame the other engineer. I don't know if you ever got that shape. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I will take yeah. it on myself and then try to nicely walk people through. Yeah, yeah well, in exactly. a lot of remote ADR sessions, you got two studios that have a lot of technical stuff going on on both sides. And there's yeah. a, there's points of failure on either side. And, and there's not complete visibility exactly. from one person to the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you've got, you've got one Pro Tools session that's queuing two different you know, playbacks in two different states or countries. Yep. And when you hit play and it doesn't go, and you don't really get to test that until you hook up. That's exactly and right. And the actor's in the booth. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, you know, a little anxiety, constant. <laughs> no big deal. I mean, an, an hour is sometimes barely enough time for me to set up in my in my own studio that, like, I don't like using somebody else's mouse. Yeah. Oh, same. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm, like, um, getting flop swaps just thinking about all this, the stress of all oh, this. It's, like, it's, well, yeah, we've all been in similar situations, and, yeah. like, just thinking about it makes you crazy. Well, and I think... I don't know. Again, I'm a, I feel like because you're a freelancer and because this is my business, we it's, it's our names on the line. And whether it's the other studio or not, it's our responsibility to make sure that actor, ha- that actor, the director, the suit, sound soup, they all have a seamless, amazing experience that's not just enjoyable and productive, but contributes positively to their project. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a lot of yeah. pressure for sure. I've had several... You know, I've been screamed at so many times. And so regardless of whose fault it is, it's like, all right, it's in my best interest to make sure the other studio, even if, you know, if, if their sound start time is wrong and so our Source Connect uh, RTS is not working, it's in my best interest to talk to them nicely and get that changed so we can sync up as quickly as possible and get on to the work. Yeah, because the other variable is that a lot of actors have an adverse relationship to ADR. Oh, they hate it. And so you have to you have to make them comfortable because they're already nervous about changing their performance yeah. in the first place. I've had them compare it to going to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've gotten that one as well. Yeah. <laughs> now, some actors are really into it. Some yeah. actors know that they're here and they can actually use this as an opportunity to improve their performance. Absolutely. But yeah. they're the minority. I think so. Yeah. And then when technical things get in the way, then, oh, then they, yeah. they stress. Yeah, then they yell. Yeah, I think someone told me recently that, um, I think it was Marlon Brando, used to deliberately mumble his lines on set so he could come in and do ADR because he loved it so much. Yeah. Oh. He always felt that it was a chance to improve his performance. So that's why he mumbled so much. I don't know how true that is, but that's what I've been told. Uh, I've heard stories of, of Tom Hanks using it as a real opportunity to improve his performance as well. I like that. I mean, you wouldn't complain about Tom Hanks coming into your studio, though. Nope, nope. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I, I had the great opportunity to record Colin Hanks a lot for the good guys um, oh. when they were shooting that in Dallas. And it, it, one of the things that's tricky with certain actors is they will have a natural speech pattern that has hesitations in it. Yep. And, and Colin is one of those that has hesitations in it. And Brad Leland was the, was the co-star of that one. And Brad, Brad's deliveries were always very... Uh, condensed. So three beeps and Brad hits his line. Yeah. But three beeps and Colin would get to the first half of his line and then there's a hesitation. Yeah. And it's hard as an actor to find that second part. Yeah. So that's when you got to go to other mechanisms to get that actor comfortable. Yeah. I joke. I feel like I fall. I literally fall a lot. Like physical comedy. Is it anything to just take the dentist-like feel out of ADR? That's my goal. Yeah. I mean, I also... I'm still trying to work on that. <laughs> on that part. And, and, yeah, you know, trying to make it feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Well, and some of it is, you know, the environment that you're in. And obviously, Emma, you don't, you have less control of it because you're walking into other people's houses. Um, but one of the things that's most important is the headphone mixes, right? So as an ADR recordist, you're wrangling a minimal three separate mixes, right? You've got your control room, you've got the actor, and you've got whatever's going down the line to the director. Shana, can you talk a little bit about, like, what thoughts go into that and what you're trying to do there? Well... I want to hear as clearly as possible what I'm trying to match, obviously, Um, even though. And again, this goes to am I working with a a sound soup who knows me, who knows the actor and just feeling out the relationship. But ultimately, I want to give them something that I feel is the most workable. 
Um, in my template, I have their selects and alt, and then my selects, just in case maybe over the line something's getting missed, but also just to give them more options. And I think to the, like with Colin Hanks and how helping them match their old patterns to match picture, an important part is the mix. And for someone like that, it's like, hey, maybe I will leave your first word in your headphones and after that I'll pull it out. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I'll leave the second word in. So, you, you know, you can hit it with the beeps and then your old self, the production will come in and help guide you. And so just being aware of some of them know their speech patterns and, and nail it and love doing ADR because it's a fun project and a challenge in that way. And inevitably, maybe there's like a really long paragraph that they have to do and it's there aren't good natural breaks. Okay, well, where can I add production or where can I help your headphone mix so that it's more natural for you to catch up with yourself on screen or what, whatever it is. I think the mix is really important. Yeah. And making sure the beeps are in the right place. And if the person always comes late from the beeps, then I move the beeps earlier. And, you know, just Yeah, different people listening. have different, different like, patterns that, yeah. that, are, that they're comfortable with. Yeah. Emma, how do you approach it? Well, we're slightly different over here, and I don't know if Shay will disagree with this, but British actors don't like beeps. We you, you go streamers. Uh, we go streamers. Yeah. And actually, I, I worked with an American actor recently, and I had the streamers set up because that's what I'm always asked for. And I said to the dialogue supervisor before the actor came in, I know this person is going to ask for beeps because they're American and that's what they're used to. Am I right in saying that's kind of standard for you guys over there? Absolutely. We do both. So for people that don't know, so the way ADR works, at least in America, is there's three beeps and then where the fourth beep would go, that's where your line starts. Um, streamers is a visual cue that it's two lines that come across the screen and when they touch together, that's where your line starts. So you can just kind of visually look at the screen and, and see when you're supposed to start talking. So do you cue up both? And then when the actor arrives, just go with what they want? Yeah, so we use we use software called Edaprompt that renders that like in real time. So you can kind of pick. So sometimes what you'll do is you'll you'll do beeps and streamers into the top of the first line. And then if there's a secondary cue that's later, you'll just streamer into the second part so that they can get started. And then they can just look up and see and then they can find that hesitation and then hit it visually. Um, I didn't know that, that that British people just don't like the beeps, though. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things that I've kind of discovered just over the years um, they're totally against it. They find it really distracting to hear the beeps coming into their line. They'd much prefer watching the screen and doing a visual cue. And if they don't like doing it that way, they'll obviously do listen and repeat where yeah. they hear the line and then repeat it immediately afterwards yeah. um, or do three takes afterwards just to get it. I and I can hear Shay agreeing in the yeah. background, so I know she does that too. <laughs> I get I get a lot of that. Take, yeah, I don't need the beeps. Just let me hear myself and then I'll do three and you put them in. Yeah, and it's especially true when people have yeah. weird hesitations in their totally. speech. That's the only way to do it. Yeah. Because you can't yeah. really like nail those weird hesitations. Yeah. In real time, because there's there's too much lead time with the cue with the with the three beeps for yeah. you to really find it again. Yeah, is everybody always using headphones? Yep. Yeah, um, probably. Yeah, yeah. For this, I think it's necessary. Yeah. And the so reason is because you have to hear production. Here. Yeah, I know, but I, I've done it. I, I have way less experience than everyone else in this conversation. But I've had actors request not to have headphones and have a speaker in the room, like the one over here. Because they felt like they would talk louder without the headphones. So that, I mean, that back to your, yeah. your question of how do, how do mixes impacted. If I have someone who's speaking quietly and I turn down their return in their headphones, yep. inevitably they'll speak louder. Yep. So, you know, and that would be absolutely doable if they didn't want to read along with production. But I think more well, actors, yeah, so you know, so, yeah, so, you so there, play there are more yeah. issues. Yeah. Yeah. I would worry about cutting that way and then sending it to a post house. Yeah. I feel like um, I get yelled at. And I, do you ever use one-sided headphones? No. No. We do. You do? <laughs> we, yeah, we have them over here. 
And what, um, what do you find we're the in advantage an open of plan, that is? Well, we're in an open plan room. Uh, generally, the studios aren't over here, aren't booth and studio separated. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few, but people tend to prefer the open plan room because they find that they can communicate a bit better. So with the one-sided headphones, the actor tends to just kind of listen to the guide track in their cans, but then the other side obviously isn't there. So they can actually hear themselves in the room and get a better sense of what they're doing. And then sometimes they will just take off the headphones and what they'll get me to do is play production in the room for all of us and then go for like a listen and repeat. So I'll play it in the room, cut the volume, and then they'll go for a take straight away. So as a recordist, are you in headphones the whole time? I'm on headphones the whole time, so I can monitor both mics. So I usually have my boom in my left and my clip in the right and just make sure that all of the recordings are going down correctly. So how do you, how do you work it when other people are in the room with you? They got to shut up. They, they have to have their own headphones. They do. The Dialogue Super always has their own feed, which I can adjust as well. But the director, producer, any of the clients, they just listen in the room. Uh, they don't have a feed. It, generally, we just do a playback then if they want one straight away. Um, they don't tend to want to listen to the guide track because obviously we'll watch the scene first before we go for a take. So they'll hear it. They'll know what's coming up. And yeah, they're just happy to let the actor get on with it. So in the midst of a take, they're sitting there in the back of the room in silence watching the actor act with no other reference until playback. Exactly. They're just watching the screen wow. and wow. seeing if it's in sync. So do you, Emma, do you ever have actors who are uncomfortable being in the middle of a room of people doing ADR. I, f- I feel like when people, when actors are in, they're more self-conscious doing ADR. It's yep. this extra skill, right? Yep. And I've had several say, hey, Shay, can we just turn off the lights in here? I just, yeah. And so they just want to see the picture and they don't want me to be able to see them. They just want to be able to go inside and not be seen. Do you ever feel that way, that any actors are self-conscious? Yeah, I mean, I actually am much more of a fan of studio and booth option because I think, especially if the relationship has deteriorated between the actor and maybe the director mm-hmm. or producer, yeah. <laughs> that tension, oh my God, like it, you obviously all know, it can spill over so badly in this room. Yeah. So when you're in an open plan room and you cannot separate the two, it's really stressful because you do have to make sure that everybody just stays calm yeah. and doesn't let personal feelings start affecting performance. Especially um, if the cue was, sure was cued for performance in the first place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they. what usually happens is the, the actor will arrive, we'll leave them out in the coffee bar for a few minutes, and if there's any performance notes, we'll actually discuss them before we bring the actor in. Because obviously that conversation can't happen when the actor is in the room. Yeah, you break them. And yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, and to be honest, it does work in that the directors have to be totally straight with the actor. They can't bullshit them. Because the actor is going to hear straight away if the line is being done for technical reasons, because they're going to hear on the guide track if there is actually an issue. Or if the director starts asking, can you change the performance? They're going to automatically know what's going on. Yeah. And that director is going to have to face them and be straight up. And this is, again, part of the art of it. I think if the actor doesn't agree with a performance note, that's where I can say, hey, Let's give them both. I've got multiple selects tracks. I'll go ahead. Here, you do one your way. I'm going to pop it here. I think that's great. And that way I can help. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you do a lot of this. It's kind of you do the jazz hands to make everyone happy and make sure there are multiple yeah. options. F- so the actor feels like his or her preference is represented and has a shot. And it's even worse if it's a network note that neither <laughs> the director nor the actor agrees with, but the network's asking for it. So, yeah, the tensions. 
Yeah, you know, it's the the vast minority of of ADRQs that I run across are for performance, right? The the most of them are, at least in my world, um, yeah. for technical reasons or their ads, their efforts, and yeah. things like that, um, or like line changes. Sometimes it's to clarify story and things like that. So, the for the most part, I'm not really dealing with that at the outset. Yeah. Um, at least in TV. I think that's pretty much the case for me. Yeah. I do mostly TV. I think. Also, though. Yeah. Emma, what about you? I do a mixture, but I have had cases where a character has been completely revoiced. Yeah, I did that. Because they I've haven't liked the original. Yeah. I always find they're the worst ones. You feel so guilty for that yep. original actor. Yep. Yeah. 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 You're it, sitting it, there horrible. just carrying guilt as you're like, as you're doing your job. Gosh. <laughs> it's tough. Yep. And you're just like, oh, God, this poor actor is probably going to be sitting at home, all of his family being like, oh, yes. my God, this is my big break. And then, <laughs> and then that's not, not me. Sunscreen. <laughs> I've had that happen for accent. I've had it happen because somebody couldn't wipe their accent hard enough. Um, and then they would come revoice it with a straighter yeah. accent. Yeah. yeah. If you're Irish or Northern Irish, it happens a lot. Man, it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're perfectly understandable. We shouldn't be discriminated against. <laughs> I agree with you. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> so both of you uh, are obviously women working in a very male-dominated field. When you have these technical glitches come up, how often do you feel that you're being uh, questioned because of the technicalness or because of your gender? Tim just went there. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I feel like I'm questioned because of my gender all the time. Daily. Um, yeah. Uh, it's very, very frustrating. Like, I know Shay's going to have so many stories as well, but I had a session a few weeks ago. It was a feature film, and actually it was, the actress was Northern Irish, and she has a strong Northern Irish accent. And they had to uh, redo a couple of lines just because it's an American film, and the execs couldn't understand her in certain parts, which is fine. But the director was really old school. And the first thing he did when he got on the line and he heard that I was a woman, was start questioning if I knew how to use Pro Tools, if I knew how to deliver my session correctly, um, if I knew how to record. He just spoke down to me for the whole whole session. And we were also doing it over Skype. We weren't actually using Source Connect because the budget wasn't there, which was fine. Um, Skype had a few technical issues too, and it just didn't want to connect. And I was getting questioned if I knew how to use Skype. And it was just like, I spoke to the actress afterwards and she was just like, do not take it personally. He is like that with all women. He's just very old school in his mentality. And, you know, he doesn't actually treat men like that. And you just kind of have to bite your tongue and just get on with it, which I hate doing personally. But it doesn't really feel like an excuse. Yeah. And, it's well, not an excuse. It's important for for the the men listening to this to 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 hear these kind of stories because for us it's it's a massive blind spot. I just, that I just don't encounter that personally. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, so many stories. I've been doing this for 20 years and uh, you know, in the past month I've had at least 5 encounters with people and I guarantee they wouldn't treat male engineers this way. Um I don't know. I I'm thinking back, I mean, there, there are also, there's the negative thing of, do you know what you're doing? Can I talk to the engineer? And then I say, well, I am the engineer. No, no, I want to talk to the person who's going to run Pro Tools. No, that's me. And then there's quiet. And I've had people request to FaceTime and see my setup. 
And inevitably, at the end, there's this falling over themselves of, thank you so much. This was great. This, uh, Thank you. And somehow that hurts also, because I know they wouldn't be doing that to my male colleagues. And I've been in enough sessions with male engineers to know that's, you know, it, it's expected of them. And for me, certainly the session, the ADR session I did with the guy who FaceTimed to see my setup, there was an issue. It was on his side. I ended up having to three-way call, Source Connect, help, and customer service or whatever it is, tech, tech support, and they were able to identify the problem and it was on the other end. And then we did the session, but the whole time for the session, I'm sweating bullets because I feel like not only am I representing myself and my business, but all women. And if I fail, if anything goes wrong here, if Source Connect doesn't connect or if Skype has an issue, it's on me and it's on all women. It's a reflection that in this director's mind or to him and in his worldview, it will just reinforce that women are incapable of doing this job. And so there's a lot of pressure and that's rough. Then there's the other side of it. Emma, I don't know about you. I have been grabbed and French kissed as a thank you for a good session. Whoa, what? Uh, totally. Um, like A-list actor. We finished a session. He's like, Shay, you're amazing. And grabbed me and kissed me. Um, there's been, I had a guy who refused to do ADR unless I would come sit on his lap, which obviously I did not do. But uh, you guys are making faces, so you don't get this. No. <laughs> this doesn't happen to you. Not even a little. Um, I had a guy who we were, do, we were recording ADR for a scene where he'd been punched in the face and he was holding a rag over his hand. And, or over his face and do, were doing the line. So I gave him a towel to, so he could muffle himself a bit. And he said, no, can I have your sweater? You smell so good. And we're online with, you know, a room full of people in L.A. I'm mortified. But these things are not uncommon. I mean, I'd say probably once a month. Now I'm, I'm more of a manager than an actual engineer for sessions. But it's it's constant. I mean, it really is. It's just part of it. And... The old school thought, it, and also, the, the, it's not malintent. I think, to your point, it's it's a blind spot, and there's this perception of what an ADR engineer looks like. And Emma, you and I just don't fit that. But we are working, I think, both of us to change the perception, certainly around us, as far as we can reach, of what an acceptable ADR engineer looks like, what a capable ADR engineer looks like. And that's all we can do, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I... I was told very early on in my career and actually a year or two ago that if I wanted to succeed, um, I needed to dress like a man, uh, cut my hair short because I would never be taken seriously with the way I dress or with the way I look. Um, so I deliberately come into the studio in dresses and heels <laughs> I love and that. I'm very girly. And that is my way of saying fuck you to all those guys and actually women yeah. who think that I cannot do this job if I don't dress and look like a man, which I think is completely unfair and the wrong image to be sending out to young girls who are trying to get into this industry. It's totally messed up, and it's not okay to say that to someone. In, but yet, in any way, yeah. No, not in any way at all. And yet male counterparts feel that that is okay to say to us, and like I said, some women as well. Yeah. Th this job is about creativity. It's about uh, being technically minded as well. It's about a lot of things. It's about personality. It has nothing to do with the way you dress, with the way you look, your religion, whatever. Nothing to do with that whatsoever. As long as you can come into this room and comfortably sit behind this desk and do your job to a competent standard, then that's it. That's all that matters. I also think that as women, 
maybe we've been socialized to be a little more empathetic and a little bit more of the caretaker in whatever situation we find ourselves. And that actually parlays really well to ADR because we're here to tend to other people, to read the room and feel emotions and tend to that. And so I kind of feel like being a girl helps me. I can diffuse situations. I can say, okay, you're nervous. No big deal. Oh my gosh, I just tripped walking into the studio. Oh, here, that was a good take. Shall we record one like that? And that makes everyone think that I haven't been recording. Of course I've been recording. <laughs> but, you know, things like that that I think... I use that joke. <laughs> it's often <laughs> awesome. And then there are times when people just... Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Um, yeah, it's... I don't know what to do. I also wear heels. Um, when I really need to feel powerful, if I'm worried about a session, I will put on heels and... I'm not really a dress kind of girl, but I'll do skinny jeans and play, I mean, not play up my girliness, but definitely not hide it. And you know, as you were talking about the, some of the stories, like the ones that I can identify with were the, hey, are you good at this job that I got when I was young? young. Right. And that went away when I wasn't young anymore. Yeah. And then there's the other stuff that doesn't, I've, <laughs> that's an utter blind spot to me. Utter blind spot. I can tell you after the Harvey Weinstein stuff came out, I got four four high, you know, very well-known people reached out to me to say, hey, just checking in. Are we cool? I'm like, oh, re are you questioning some of your actions toward me? Yeah. And I think, you know, there has been this old school acceptance. I mean, since the beginning of all of this, it's, hey, sweetie, hey, darling. That doesn't bother me, but I think it's because it's just accepted. And I have been socialized to accept these behaviors. And, you know, the older I get, the more I think about it, the more unacceptable it is. And the more I think I have to fight to make sure that the next generation of girls who come up don't have to put up with quite as much. Yeah. Though I, I mean, to be honest, I don't think I've been successful. I mean, I almost walked out of a session right before the holidays because of the just absolute rude treatment um, of this guy. So as, as a guy, right, and I'm looking at Tim here. Um, the adjustments what did that, Tim do? The, well, <laughs> the adjustments that I've personally made with my vocabulary is obviously I, I never I never say sweetie, and I also try when I'm addressing a room of people never say guys. That's yeah, and yeah, and in, in addition to that, I also don't say girls when referring to women. Yeah, and I've had to consciously make those adjustments because I didn't. That was not my starting point. I appreciate that. I feel like probably just your awareness and the willingness to do that means that you were never the problem. You were never part of this sure. thing. But I do appreciate that. I think that's, you know, those are the first steps. But that does affect, you know, just the the tenor of the room. Absolutely. It affects the relationship. Yeah. Of when you say, you know, th these women that we met last night at the meetup were interns with me and they're monsters now and they're amazing. They're not, it's not these girls I used to work with. Right. It's these women I used to work with and that yeah. makes a difference. It does. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so there's That's that. Yeah. Uh, you know, as guys, we have our own yeah. responsibility in this. Yeah, absolutely. I well, have to say, even as a woman, I do use the term guys. Me too. And I struggle <laughs> to stop myself from saying that. I know. It, it's so hard. Well, I think women have more I mean, latitude to do that, right? But even still, I know, but when you're calling other women guys, well, it's also, kind of like, it, it still goes back to you. You were both saying, hey, other women are treating me this way, too. True. Yes. And so, you know, to yeah. some degree, we all have to make that. Yeah. We have to make that conscious observation of our own language. Yeah. Emma, do you ever get on the line with another woman and say, oh, my gosh, it's a girl. High five or, you know, whatever the 
Oh, yeah, yeah. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there is there's some of that girl to girl thing of, uh, hey, lady or, you know, two chick engineers. That's awesome. So there's I feel like in me now I'm recognizing a little bit of a double standard where I'm OK saying, hey, we're chicks. But I don't know that I'd be offended if a guy did. Again, I feel like I accept a lot of things and it's only these extreme situations of men who think I want to date them and say, well, look how you're dressed. Of course, you're asking for this. Why? If you're an engineer, you don't need to dress that way. Like, but th- what do you mean need? I'm, you know. I mean, I, I dress pretty. You, you look very pretty. Thank, right? Yeah. I'm in the room, people. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever found that uh, there's a woman director or a woman actor that's coming to you because you're a woman? Yeah, I actually had it recently. Um, I had a well-known actress and for a well-known show. She came in, saw me, and said, you were the first woman that I've worked with in 15 years of doing this job. And wow. we had a really good session together. She left, and I got a message from the Dialogue Super, who's a friend of mine afterwards, saying she's requested that you continue to do her ADR for the rest of the series. Uh, she only wants to work with you. She doesn't want to work with anybody else because all she had worked with was men. Um, wonderful. The following week, I had the same thing with another actress and we were just in a voiceover for a documentary and she was just like, in I think it was 25 years of acting, she had never worked with a woman in the studio. I was the first one again. And I found out she had done some ADR for a series the very next day in a different studio where I know the guys. And they said to me that they were actually in telling everybody about me um, because she was just so astounded by the fact that she found a woman in the studio. And she said it to me the next day that she was in for the voiceover. She was just like, I will be trying to request you for my future work, which is amazing. Um, I do get it from female directors a bit as well, but not enough. And I think that's the problem. Uh, Hopefully, Shay has similar stories where she is getting requested too because of her gender, because it's positive discrimination. And I know that there's a lot of people who will disagree wholly with this, but positive discrimination really needs to happen right now in order for change to begin. You know, Emma, and, I think yeah. if she had gone to you and seen that you were a woman and then had a terrible experience, I don't think she would have requested you again. I think it's both. You have no, to be a competent engineer and then she sees that you're a woman and so helps out, you know? Yeah. So uh, discrimination, but exactly, also, you yeah. know, it's it's not undeserved. It's just she's saying, oh, this was a comfortable experience with a competent person who's a woman, which I love, you know? It's it's not the same as just blind, okay, I want a woman in here for the sake of her gender. We were talking to John Pritchett yesterday, and he said that the one of the greatest compliments a, a director or a production team can give you is to hire you for the next job. Yeah, yeah. Because so often people will rotate through people until they find somebody that they like. Huh. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that. I, th- I think, you know, same thing. And I've had actors on mic defend me to other studios and say, no, this, she's amazing, guys, or, you know, listen to her. Okay, well, if she's asking for this, I'm going to do it. And so, yeah, you have to find the allies out there and people who will advocate for you and the actors who will say, I will only work with this person. And that's the best compliment. Yeah. More work. Yeah, it feels like you're dealing with a tighter margin of error than I am. Perhaps. And you're having to show a higher level of competence to get the same return. I think that's true. Well, I'm sure, you know, I have male males working for me and often clients will come in and they won't even look at me they won't if i'm asking the questions they won't even respond to me they respond to the man in the room and yeah do you know what that's hard just a hard part of it mm-hmm. good talk guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've we've kind of taken a depressing yeah here, this got but... sad <laughs> 
Well, yeah, it's kind of it, it's a conversation that needs to happen. Well, that, exactly. That it, it's it's sad that uh, we're in this situation, but positives are that we can have podcasts like this where we can talk about it. Absolutely, and other things. Emma, I'm sure you're in, involved in things over there, far away from us, where you work to help. I mean, even if you're just being visible as a successful female in this field, you're you're helping. And I, here I teach at, at a nearby university where inevitably it's 95% men, but I will have one or two women in my class. And I feel like just being there for them to see that you can be not just a woman, but you can be a woman fully expressive of who you are and not tap it down, not be one of the guys, not wear torn up jeans and no makeup. You can be whoever you are and still be successful in this field and even find that some of these things that might be perceived weaknesses are assets in doing this work. And I think somebody else pointed out to me that I'm also showing the men that. that mm-hmm. And so that's important work, I think. Yep. So if someone is listening to this right now and they want to get started in ADR, they want that to be their focus, how would you tell them to practice even? So as a teacher, I see this huge gap between as far as they can be educated in this and then what is needed professionally. And mm-hmm. there's got to be some stumbling around and learning. And like Emma said, you oftentimes learn these things by having crashes mid-session or having things go terribly wrong. And then you learn, okay, next time this happens, this is how I will handle this. Um, So for me, I try to provide internships as much as possible. I take work on weekends and evenings for nonprofits that I like. We do a lot of podcasts and I get interns to work on those and to edit and to play around. And if it's a phone interview that we were recording, I'll say, okay, do what you can with EQ and compression. Try to make that sound really good. And I'm trying to provide a space where these people who have graduated but aren't quite yet ready to be with clients can work. Um, but for someone at home, get Pro Tools, play around, get an get get a movie, find some picture. and It's so technically complex. It there's, is. There's so much... There's so much uh, human interaction. It feels like you do have to apprentice it yeah. to ever have a chance, right? I think so. Yeah. So It's not something you can do yourself. How did you start, Emma? Like, who, who did you learn under? One of the guys that I worked with, Mark Fitzpatrick, he would be booked on ADR sessions and he knew I wanted to learn it. So he would get me, like, he wouldn't give me any warning. Uh, he'd just tell me, okay, you're doing this one and I'm just going to sit at the back on my phone. And he would. And I'd sit there and I'd have to run the session. And if something was going wrong, he'd jump in and help me. But if it wasn't, he'd just leave me to do it. And really, the only way you can learn is when you're thrown into the deep end. I think, you know, you have to learn on your feet and you have to learn, okay, this has gone wrong. I haven't done this correctly. Never do that again. And like Shay said as well, learn from your mistakes. It's one of those gigs where there's a lot of stylistic input that the engineer has. Engineers can impart a lot of their own personal style into the the way that it works as far as like almost from a technical setup. Like I have I have tools that I like to use that my boss does not like to use. Yeah. <laughs> Etc. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um just to, to I have t- a new t- mic accessory. What do you got? I got a little DPA magnetic clip that is basically like on a chain. So instead of clipping your lav mic or clip mic onto the actor directly, what you do is your lav mic magnetically connects onto this necklace. You do not have to physically place the yeah, clip mic yeah, on yeah, the actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, you just give them this piece of equipment. They put it on like a necklace. Um, you put a little 
uh, Rycote sticky on the back of it. And all they do is then just press the necklace onto their piece of clothing and it sticks in place. We use a, we use a lanyard. And I similarly. love it. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. We just take we just take the law and, and clip it to a lanyard and uh, and just drop it over the head. Because the thing is, actors when they come in for ADR, they're not they're not done up. They're wearing t-shirts almost universally. Yeah. So yeah. there's no place to put a lava on them. So you have to hang it around their neck, um, in a way that's going to work. I'm going to use the lanyard thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not the and done so thing over here. Them. Yeah. Oh, I I always you know? hand it at this yeah. point. I hand them. It's a thing, right? Because they're already nervous. Uh, they're not always nervous, but they're always they're you know they're always they're already in that place. And they're not in their element. Yeah, it's it's a different thing. You're not on the set. You're not playing off of actors. Your own performance is under the microscope in front of yourself and the whole world. It feels like, and it's just everything that the engineer can do to make that actor comfortable is super important. And having having just a mic that you can just drop on the top of them and and they're done, then that's that's the way to go. Yeah, completely. So how are you making it so the lanyard doesn't? fly all around when they move it's got a little weight on it so just a weight so mm-hmm. emma you're saying you actually stick it to them right no they stick it to themselves yeah i don't touch them i keep my hands <laughs> to myself um and they do it. it it is tricky if they don't have like if they have it like a really low cut top on it does get a little bit tricky but most of the time they come in fully clothed so we're all good <laughs> <laughs> most of the time <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not doing well on uh, my PC-ness on this podcast You're doing great, whatsoever. it's fine. <laughs> no, I'm not. You're just waiting for everybody to take the piss out of me when this goes live. Well, that part's definitely staying. <laughs> yeah, um, but everyone has their own style, I'm right? i shut up now. And, and there's other things that you have your style with regards to, you know, like uh, keeping your selects and, and how you're going to do playback and how you're going to route your playback. Because, you know, you're recording two mics minimally, right? But you're only really listening to one most of the time, except the engineer's listening to both. But then you're only feeling one mic back. And, and so it's like, how do, you, how do you handle that? And again, Emma, for you to like walk into somebody else's house and have that handled in an hour is just blowing my mind. Same. Yeah. So we haven't yeah, talked about it, mics it's at all. It's tricky. Should we get into that real quick? You, you, boom and uh, lav. Boom and lav, yeah. And typically, you know, if you if you have if you know what they used on production for a boom mic, then you know if you have that information, awesome. Um, otherwise, we just we just roll with the MKH60 and then um, COS11 on the lav. Same lav. I do Sennheiser 416 for the 416 boom. 416 people always yeah. love that. Unless there's a specific request for something else. Yeah, a lot of people use a CMIT now too. Emma. I am a 416 or a 60, uh, depending on what we have. Um, and we generally have the Sanken Cost 11, but I actually prefer the DPA 4060 as a lav mic. I just find that it handles rustling sound a lot better um, if they're wearing kind of scratchy clothes. Um, I do not like, is it the Seamus, the blue one? Yeah, the Sheps. Oh, Hate you it. don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Everybody is obsessed with this mic. <laughs> Unpopular opinion. I mean, I think partly it's because everybody goes on about it so much and how wonderful it is. I, it's expensive. I'm sorry. I just, it's bloody pricey. And then, <laughs> like the 60 or the 416 just sounds so good. Like, why would you not just use that instead? I had a love-hate relationship with the 416 for a long time until I really figured that mic out. Like, I just, I did not like that mic for um, years until I figured it out. Like, just the fact that it's going to do that thing and you just have to be okay with that it did it, it 416s you know yeah i guess so with your boom mic how are you guys placing it how are you all placing it see he did it it's good <laughs> high fives 
Y'all. How are y'all? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're in Texas. Texas we're in Texas, yeah. God damn it. How y'all doing that now? There you go. <laughs> um, I tend to kind of have it uh, facing towards their mouth quite a distance away. I usually try and do an arm and a half distance away, yep. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I have very tiny arms, so it's not that <laughs> far. And it's slightly pointing down from above. I am baffled when I see photos of people who actually mic from below. Yeah. I'm really sorry if any of you guys do it. I, I don't understand that. That might be just a prop photo. Yeah, there's a lot of photos that are not of actual mic positions. I oh. do the same. I've seen Adam. university students being taught this. Yeah, I've, it, I've seen people worrying. get tossed all kinds of craziness, though. <laughs> My arms are yeah. very long, so I'm like one arm up. For placement. Do you do the arm distancing as well, Shay? I mean, it depends. I actually, I, I do it from the imagined actor's height. So try to figure out about yeah. how tall I think they are and then maybe two feet-ish. How long is that? You know. Yeah. But yeah, pretty pretty far up, out, angled toward their mouths. Yep. Mouth, they each only probably have one mouth. Two and a half feet or so. 95% of the time they only have one, one mouth. One mouth, yes. Yeah. I've only worked with those, yeah. those one mouth actors. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to be too tight on them because if you're too tight, you, you can't match production. Um, we have a very, very dead booth. And so we still run into situations sometimes where they're like, the mic's too tight. And we're like, the mic is five feet away from the guy. Yeah. And, and the way we approach that sometimes is we'll just, we'll just angle them off just slightly and then that ends up doing it. So We've gotten into a situation over here where a lot of mixers actually just don't want to, like re-recording mixers, don't want to use the boom at all. Yeah. So I tend to actually, I always find out who's going to be mixing the TV show or the film that I'm doing. I kind of know now the regulars, what they like and what they don't. And if it's one in particular, I know that he just refuses downright to use the boom. So I always monitor and play back on the clip. How are you getting that feedback? Uh, I ask them. That's a good answer. That's I, a good way to get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, it was one of the things that when I was working in a studio, I always used to try and find out who the dialogue super was in advance of the session. Um, I'd ask them what mics had been used on set on the day, how they liked their playbacks, and I'd ask who was mixing whatever we were doing. And I'd ask them what their preference was on what mics they liked to mix with. And just because I used to get the opportunity to ask that so much, I just kind of build up this database of mixers and dialogue supervisors. It's been tougher since I've moved country because it's a whole new industry and all new different people, but I'm slowly starting to get back there. And it's obviously tricky when you're freelance as well, because I come in and a lot of the time I don't know what job I'm on until literally the night before. So the opportunity for me to speak to anybody in advance of the session just isn't there. I don't get to see anything until that hour before I start. So, yeah, it, it's a little bit hard, but you get there eventually. Yeah. Well, thank you both for this thank conversation. This is awesome. Thanks um, for having us. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I know. <laughs> you had us? I, oh, well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We're in your house. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> so, yes, thank you very much, Emma and Shay, uh, for taking time to talk to us today. Emma is about to go on a massive, awesome vacation, and she took the time instead of packing for that to talk to us, so we really appreciate that. And Shay, thanks for letting us in your house and use your booth Anytime. and uh, sharing all your knowledge, both of you. So uh, we'll get back to you next time. Thanks for listening to Tone Benders, everybody. See ya. Tone Benders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. 
You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to ToneBenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening.